Hello, this is Rob, and this is episode 17 of the Folly Coffee Podcast. Let's get it brewing. All right, for this episode, I decided, well, Jeff and I still haven't got a time on the calendar to do the second half of the Cup Tasters episode that we recorded in Nashville, so at this point it's going to be like more of a recap than anything, but uh, instead of doing part three of the Folly Coffee story, I decided to take a quick break because chronologically that made sense to go back and tell the story of how I co-founded Filterra Cold Brewed Coffees with Brandon. Uh I kind of alluded to it in the previous episode, but I wanted to do it now because it makes sense because we launched in September of 2018. So why would I go back and do a Folly Coffee podcast episode about where we're going to be in 2020, what we're trying to do, where we're at in 2019, if 2018 happened before that? Does that make sense? It makes sense in my mind, chronological sense. So I'm going to move forward in that way. So today's episode is all about how Brandon and I launched Filterra Cold Brewed Coffees. For those of you that don't know, uh, my name is Rob. I am the the founder and owner of Folly Coffee Roasters. I'm also the uh, co-owner and co-founder of Filterra Cold Brewed Coffees. That is spelled like P as in P-H-I-L-T-E-R-A, Filterra Cold Brewed Coffees. And the biggest question I get when people figure out that I've got, wait, why do you have a coffee roasting business and a separate cold brew business? One, you're dumb because you should have just done it under one. And two, what is your reasoning, you dummy? And so hopefully by the end of this episode, you're like, oh, okay, that makes more sense. I still think you're dumb, but it makes more sense than it did before. And so I'm going to go back. Uh, Wayne's World reference there. I'm going to go back to, let's start the beginning of 2018. So I, January 2018, I just launched Folly Coffee. Like I said, during this time, this lead up from like May when I moved back to January of launch, I was building out the roaster with Ken out in Silver Lake. But I also referenced that I was going to all of these coffee events. Like the first week I was back, Wesley Andrews had their uh, first anniversary party th- latte art throwdown. Uh, for non-coffee nerds, a latte art throwdown is literally a bracket tournament style competition where baristas compete head to head to see who can pour the best latte. People do them in different ways, but the most simple is just whichever design is best as determined by judge based on whatever criteria the exact one decides. So that's probably the most common event in like the coffee underground scene. And so I moved back and immediately found that Wesley Andrews, his uh, coffee shop and roaster in the Whittier neighborhood of Uptown was throwing a latte art throwdown. So I was like, what a perfect opportunity to go and meet as many coffee people as possible. And so it was events like these from the first week I was back, trying to find every single coffee event, whether it was the Northern Coffee Alliance, which is now called the Minnesota Coffee Collective, is a group of coffee professionals meeting every month. Go check that out. Just search minnesotacoffeecollective.com. I'm on a tangent here. Anyway, I went to as many coffee events as I could during this time. And the reason this is important is because I met a lot of people to introduce to Folly. I got a lot of feedback from people to taste coffees. But unbeknownst to me, I also formed a friendship with one Brandon Martin. 
At the time I met him, he was a sales rep for Bootstrap Coffee Roasters. Shout out Micah uh, over in St. Paul. They're an awesome coffee roaster in St. Paul, Minnesota. And Brandon was doing sales for them. So naturally, I'm starting a roaster. He and I, he does sales for a specialty coffee roaster. He's been in specialty coffee, well, been in coffee for 10 plus years in every single job you can imagine. And so while I'm going to all these events, while I'm going to these uh, Minnesota Coffee Collective meetings, I meet Brandon. And obviously at the time, I'm not thinking this could potentially be a future business partner because I am completely overwhelmed with trying to build, literally build a roaster, build a brand and launch. And so over the, I guess like seven, eight months, I was just getting to know him at all these random events. And every time I encountered him, super nice dude, clearly well-respected within the coffee community, very well connected. And he was really damn good at his job at Bootstrap. It seemed like it was opening up a lot of accounts for them. And so uh, January came, launched Folly Coffee. I did the whole story about getting into Kowalski's, getting uh, into Lund's and our original accounts like Eastside, Oxendale's, Hampton Park Co-op. And so it was right around that time of launching in Lund's, which was late April of 2018, that I noticed that Brandon left the job that he seemed to be doing really well at to go back to a manager position. And I will say, this is my take on all of this. So I really want to do an episode somewhere down the road with Brandon and get his take on the whole thing. This is completely my out of my head. This is not what anybody has told me. In fact, I haven't even really asked Brandon how all of this went down. It'd be fun to do an episode like that. But he left this job that he seemed to be doing really well at. And he went back to his uh, job at uh, Quixotic in St. Paul, which is an awesome cafe that also serves bootstrap. And uh, I kind of approached him. I was like, yeah, what's up? Um, what what prompted you to go back to your job at uh, your manager job at Quixotic? And he was like, I'm, I've actually been working on a business idea for quite some time. And uh, it's not ready to launch yet. But I needed to go back to this manager job to free up some time and just, quite frankly, space of mind to be able to vet it out. And I was, you know, being the... I love business ideas. I'm like, tell me all about it. He goes, actually, I I wanted to talk to you about it. He goes, I've been working on cold brew recipes for over two years. And I just think that the cold existing cold brewed coffees on the market are, especially in the Twin Cities, referencing here, the existing cold brews on the market just aren't as good as they could be. And the marketing and branding and approach that cold brew companies are taking is to be like an energy drink replacement. Now, at this time in April of 2018, and still quite frankly to today, cold brew is an absolutely exploding category. Uh, I think it's a combination of things. One, when you cold brew coffee versus brew it hot, it tends to be a much sweeter beverage. It leaves behind a lot of the acidic compounds that create that like what I like about hot coffee, the acidity, the complexity, the balance. But I will say that a simple cold brew is much more approachable than like a really complex cup of hot coffee. And so I think a lot of people drink cold brew because it's very approachable. It's very sweet. It's very easy to drink. And so I think that's one thing that led to that category exploding. The other is the growing trend, especially in younger consumers of being very conscious about what they're putting into their bodies. Uh, And so energy drinks like Red Bull and Monster, which used to be massively popular with like college age kids, young adults, young professionals, 
starting to obviously still very popular, but starting to become less popular because of what they're looking at on the ingredient labels and the growing awareness that coffee is actually good for you. It's always coffee's like always thrown into this category of like cigarettes, booze and coffee. And you're like, but why, though? It's like rich in antioxidants. More and more studies are coming out that there is a strong link of Uh, anti-aging, anti-Alzheimer's, all these different health benefits of drinking coffee, plus the previous key, the preconceived notions about drinking too many cups of coffee being detrimental to your health. There's now, I just read one study that seemed pretty legit. That was like up to 25 cups is where it starts to get dangerous. And I don't even know how you drink 25 cups. Where does anybody find the time? Uh, Not that I'm going to try to figure that out. And so I think those are a few things that led to cold brew exploding as a category. One, it's sweet. It's easy to drink. Two, uh, energy drinks becoming less and less popular. And three, coffee actually is good for you. So cold brew with very minimal amount of sugar or no sugar uh, is a very, very good alternative to these like absolutely gut-wrenching energy drinks. And most of the cold brew companies on the market at the time were marketing and branding themselves as an energy drink replacement. And Brandon saw this. And he also saw that there was, so I'll go back to our conversation. He's like, and if I'm remembering this correctly, I might just be making this up in my own head at this point, which might be most of my memories. But Brandon essentially said, cold brew is not exciting to high-end specialty coffee drinkers. Because it's just a simple sweet beverage, and because most cold brew producers are trying to compete with energy drinks, what they do is they use cheap coffee. And then when you use cheap coffee, you roast it darker to cover up the flaws in that coffee. And then you do a very simple brew method, which is uh, just steep it at low temperatures for 12 to 24 hours, uh, extract the coffee, and then dilute it to taste. And that is your cold brew. And that results in a cold brew that is drinkable, but it's going to be like a little bit bitter. And so what most companies do because it's cheap, dark roasted, bitter coffee is they'll add a little bit of sugar to balance it out. Uh, There's not many good representations out there that are just water and coffee. And the ones that are uh, especially ready to drink, like in cans and stuff, most of them aren't good. Uh, Some of them are pretty nice, but uh, most of them out there just even the ones that were nice didn't excite me as a high-end specialty coffee drinkers. It didn't have the same complexity. It didn't show the true quality of the coffee. You didn't taste the processing method. You didn't trace, taste where it was grown. And Brandon recognized this. And quite frankly, at this point in time, I didn't think you could cold brew a coffee in that way. And then he said, I've been working on this concept. Uh, I've been working on cold brew recipes for over two years, and I wanted to talk to you about it. Uh, If I approached you as Folly Coffee Roasters and was willing to cold brew your coffee for you and then go sell it myself, would you be interested in that? I'm like, well, like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds actually like a really good idea. I would do that. Is like, are are you doing that or somebody doing that? He's like, that's what I want to do. And that's why I wanted to talk to you. Would you be interested in going in on this with me? And I'm like, you know... I don't know. Um, I just launched Folly like four months ago. It's taking everything I have to get it off the ground. I don't don't know if I'm interested, especially like cold brew is super saturated. There's a lot of big players and it's an exploding category. So it's continuing to attract large companies with lots of resources to compete. And he said, like, I hear you. 
Uh, first, I want you to taste what I'm doing. And he had with him the Folly House Bean with one of his cold brewing recipes. And I tasted it and it was like, whoa, like this, this is the Folly House Bean. Like at the time, it was a naturally processed Ethiopian Yuri chef. And I'm like, this is the first time I've tasted a cold brew and been able to identify that this is like clearly a naturally processed Ethiopian. This is, I'm tasting the processing method. I'm getting like those blueberry, the fermentation notes. I'm tasting like the fruit forwardness, those like floral kind of like subtle notes that you get from Ethiopian coffees. And I was like, I was stunned. And I go, this is really, really good. But I'm, you know, I'm still not super interested. This, all the stuff I said is still true, despite this being an incredible, like an incredible taste, an incredible product. It, it's still super busy and saturated. I just don't know if I see it. And then he said, well, there's two other facets that I, I, I had for this idea. Uh, one would be we'd only go on tap. And then you used to sell beer kegs, right? Like you used to sell kegs, bars, restaurants. And that's where he started to rope me. And I'm like, all right, now we're back in my lane. Like slinging kegs, bars, restaurants, that's my thing. Like that's what I was good at at Sam Adams. That's what. That's a lane I missed. In specialty coffee, because getting on tap is such a different like sales experience than trying to get someone to serve and brew your coffee. Uh, and if you go to the last episode, you'll see a lot of the reasons why. So I won't go into too much detail there. But selling cakes seemed really exciting to me. And then the third thing was, he goes, I don't want this just to be the Folly Cold Brew. I want to do it under a completely separate business and work with a group of specialty coffee roasters that we would be very selective about who we work with. And that is the part that I wasn't instant on the spot. I said, that's actually a very, very intriguing idea. I need to think on this very seriously. Uh, we also would need to figure out how much would this realistically cost to do because as I've referenced many times, starting a small business, you're going to be very cash poor unless you've got some source of massive money pits or a huge investment, which we did not have at Folly, uh, or my personal bank account working four different jobs that I had just quit. And so after thinking about it for some time, I ultimately decided this was the right thing to do. Um, one, and most importantly, was the cold brew was amazing. I hadn't tasted something like that. And anytime I taste something I haven't had, or of a quality that's above anything else I've ever had, it's hard to get that out of my mind. And I think anybody who's like a foodie or a, you know, just like, a, I don't know, food bev person, like food beverage, I think anytime you have something that's just next level, it's so hard to get that out of your head. I don't care if it's a hamburger. I don't care if it's like, like fries or another good one. I don't care if it's like a glass of wine or a beer. When you have one, that is just beyond what you've had of that style. It's very, very hard to get out of your head. And so that cold brew stuck with me. Uh, and then the second thing was only going on tap. In doing some pretty in-depth research of the Twin Cities market and the cold brews that were available. So after he pitched this idea to me, I went and bought up every cold brew I could find in the can and our bottle and drank those. And none of them matched what he was doing. And then I looked at who was also doing cold brew on tap and realized there were really only like two or three players doing it effectively. 
And that made me wonder why. Like, why aren't more people doing cold brew on tap if it seems to be an underrepresented market? And that's where I realized that there is a high capital barrier for a small coffee roaster, or not even small coffee roaster, just for a coffee roaster to launch a commercial cold brew program on tap, especially in the can or bottle. There's a lot of hidden costs involved. And if you listen to the rest of this episode, you'll realize where those hidden costs come in. Uh, Because just like Folly, this was much more of an endeavor than we expected. And it happened way quicker than Folly did, but not without its own challenges and hidden costs. And so being on tap, not only was I excited about the proposition of selling kegs again, but it seemed to be a channel that not a lot of people were focusing heavily on. And so that was intriguing to me in analyzing that channel. And then the last part. So what would the business be if we're sourcing beans from different roasters, but we're using Brandon's proprietary brewing methods to make their coffee taste better as a cold brew than anyone else can make it taste as a cold brew. And then we're kegging it. And so technically we've bought the beans and kegged it. So now the kegs are ours to sell, but we're also kind of still rep. We're still representing the roasters that we work with. Like, what is it? So are we like a, are we like a contract brewer? Kind of. So a contract brewer would be somebody that you literally sign a contract with that you will produce our cold brew and private label it for us. And private label just means that, their name's not involved in any fashion that they make it for you. And then it's the roaster's responsibility to go sell. And that exists, that business exists. And there's a lot of them out there. Again, I don't think any of them are doing it to the quality that Brandon is brewing with us at Filterra. And so I don't want to be a contract uh, brewer because there's no brand equity in that. You're not building a brand. You're not really creating any market differentiation over someone that does it. And in fact, we'd be at a disadvantage because our, our cold brew is not shelf stable because we found it affect tastes. And for us, the taste of the coffee is the number one priority, not shelf stability and ease of shipping and so on and so forth. So it's like not a contract brewer. So I was kind of confused on that. And I go, but it's also not just our cold brew. And at the time we didn't have a name. So I'm like, whatever our name is, it's not our cold brew. So how do we do that? And that's that was kind of the thing where I went back and forth of do we want to do this and fall victim of potentially just becoming a contract brewer with no brand equity. And so I was hung up on that part for a while. But ultimately, the idea came to my mind that we could do this almost like a seasonal beer program, that if we can be a brewer for these roasters, we can have a tap handle that is our brand. So whatever our brand ends up being named, the tap handle can have our name on it. And then whichever coffee is in the cold brew can be at the top of the tap handle. It's like when I thought about that idea, then I was like, then it all clicked. And you go, it's this entirely new business concept that really hasn't been done, that contract brewers do not add value to the coffee. Contract brewers are just doing a service for a roaster. But we were adding value to the coffee because Brandon has these proprietary brewing methods that make the coffee taste as a cold brew that I've never tasted before. And once that idea clicked that we could build a brand and still really, really represent these roasters in an awesome fashion, 
that's where the whole thing clicked to me. And so at that point, I was obviously very excited by it, as you could probably tell by right now, as I'm like recollecting these memories. And I go back to Brandon and go, let's do this. Like, and that's where we sat down and started like really planning out what we would need to do. And so uh, what we determined is the best way to start uh, this business would be in a commercial kitchen. And so um, commercial kitchen, what's the other name? That is called, oh yeah, uh, commissary kitchen. So commissary kitchen or commercial kitchen, we need to find a shared space. The cost to rent out, to, to buy our building was far too high to even reasonably consider at this point. Uh, to rent out entire kitchen was far, far too high because commercial kitchens can be very pricey, especially if you have to b- buy all the equipment that goes into the commercial kitchen. And so uh, that you rent, by yourself. And so we need to find a shared space. And fortunately for us, the Twin Cities had a handful of spaces that would work for us. And we also had the advantage that the only things we needed for a space was literally space. We're not making bread, so we don't need a massive commercial bread dough mixer. We're not making anything that has to go in the oven. We don't need commercial ovens. So we could approach commercial kitchens and say, all we need is a preparation space, but it has to be in a licensed facility. And that's the kicker. We couldn't just start this in our basement. You could do that if you're doing a cottage food license, like if you're just doing farmer's markets, but I actually don't even know if you could do technically that for farmer's markets because you might need a special license because you are actually manufacturing the food. I don't know, but we weren't even considering that at any point. So we needed to find a licensed facility with enough space for us to be able to brew at the time, like 30 to 50 gallon batches of cold brew. And uh, so we started looking around. Now, we also got lucky and part of it that played into the decision is a lot of a lot of our upfront costs were saved because uh, months prior uh, with Folly, I had done a Kickstarter because we wanted to have a cold brew kegerator and a cold brew system so that Folly could produce cold brew for events and a farmer's market and so on and so forth. And so we had successfully funded a Kickstarter over at Folly. And so we had a commercial kegerator. We had a 30-gallon commercial grade cold brew system. And so we had a lot of that equipment up front that we needed to make the cold brew uh, the way Brandon was making it. So... That saved us upfront costs. And then one of the benefits of going from a salaried job to quitting, moving in with your parents and working for odd jobs is that your tax return is good. And so I had a good tax return that year and Brandon had been saving money for two years knowing that he was going to launch a business. And so we pooled our money in and did a joint LLC, Limited Liability Corporation. And so we formed this LLC uh, split equally between myself and him as co-founders. Now this is a dicey proposition. And I'll go back to that because this is a very important component of why I think Filterra is successful. So I'm actually going to write down right now with a pen and paper, because I'm old school like that, to go back to uh, joint partnership. All right. And so we had the equipment. We had to find a kitchen. And so we literally just Googled commissary, uh, commissary kitchen on Google, shared kitchen space, commercial kitchen, commissary kitchen, 
commissary kitchen. I'm still not completely sure how to pronounce that word, so I always say both. So I'm only half stupid and not full stupid. And we find there's probably five places that are a realistic fit. There are a few places that are a stretch fit in terms of high budget, and there are a few places that might be actually under our needs. And we start toing around, and luckily Brandon also has a lot of connections within food and beverage, and so we had a few recommendations. And we ultimately narrowed it down to three or four spaces and toured them, and it was very, very clear uh, where we needed to be. And that was a beautiful space in St. Paul called Gia Kitchen, G-I-A. And the reason this space fits so perfectly is it was gluten-free. So they only had bakers that were gluten-free, which obviously there's no gluten in cold brew. But it is nice to be able to say this is produced in a gluten-free facility to not even have to worry about that. And it was basically all gluten-free bakers. Uh, and so people making different food and beverage that were gluten-free, and that was the focus of this kitchen. And so we were able to come in and say, we don't need to use any of the baking equipment. We don't have to use this or that. All we need is space and fridge space, which they had. And so we were able to commit to them, when we're ready to launch, we can do it here at Gia Kitchen. Now, even though Gia Kitchen is fully licensed, we still had to go through the full process of showing them how we do our processes. And this is where I got very lucky with Brandon. He is insanely detail-oriented. I am kind of not. I am definitely more of a big picture guy and the detail stuff I have to work really, really hard at and I lose focus 20 times every second of anything I'm trying to do that's highly detail-oriented. Now, I had the HATSIP procedure, the hazard action critical control point plan from Folly, and so we were able to use that as a starting point for where to start with Filtera, but I gave that to Brandon and he took it and absolutely ran with it in terms of the processes. And so by the time time that we got to the point that they needed to inspect the facility, inspect our equipment and inspect our procedures, we had way more than they were asking for. And the inspection was very easy, but I'm getting ahead of myself. During this time, Brandon and I are kind of scoping out what we need for money. We determine that we'll go 50-50. He'll put in his savings. I'll put in the tax return I got that year. And then the next step was we kind of needed to determine what this brand is going to be. Now, when I was building out Folly, I wanted it to be different than how people were doing it in specialty coffee. People in specialty coffee were very high-end, very pretentious branding, very like wine-like descriptors, very sophisticated. And so I made Folly fun, approachable, colorful, like like just very plain, simple. And what I saw in cold brew was the opposite. Cold brew producers were not focusing on the quality. They were not using branding that like gave you feelings of high-end quality. And so ironically, with Filtera, we wanted to go the opposite direction. We need to create a brand, a name, and a logo that exude that this is quality. Everything we do needs to show that it's quality. Yeah, we like to have fun, but that's not going to be the focus of this brand. The quality of the cold brew and the, like the, the details of our processes is what we need to highlight. And so just like I had done with Folly, and this is kind of how we both did it, is we went and just came up with massive, massive lists of names. And there were several different directions we went. The lane that we both found to resonate as like high-end, sophisticated without being an actual word, which by the way, it is so hard to find a brand name 
that doesn't already exist as like a website or something that you type in Google. And so half the time you find a name you really like and there's 10 other things called that or they're close enough to that that you can't really use it. And so we found this lane in foreign language that if we could use foreign languages where it made sense to get quality across, that would be what we would use. And we found that in Greek, the word filter with a P-H, P-H-I-L-T-E-R meant love potion. And I was like, that is incredible. It shows that we're doing this because we're passionate about it. This, this literally is a show of our love and passion for cold brew. And we put the A on the end, quite frankly, it sounded really nice. It made it 100% ours, a completely unique name. And then for the logo, we worked with a, at the time, local designer, David Ungs, and he came up with an awesome concept. Uh, Brandon and I found a bunch of old Nordic uh, symbology, like uh, Nordic symbols. And we loved that Nordic tie to Minnesota because there is such a strong Nordic tradition here. And we found two symbols for love and energy. And so we went to David and challenged him and said, David, we need you to combine in some way these symbols for love and energy. Because we want, obviously, like cold brew coffee exudes energy, but we also want it to tie into our theme of love and passion. That's why we're doing this. And he came back with what is now our logo. It's very clean. The lines are very angular. It's just exudes quality and he also found an awesome font that he created for Filterra and when you look at it you just get that feeling of quality it's like it's not on trend it's different enough that it's not trendy but it is definitely exudes like the modern uh, sophistication and so we fell in love with the name we fell in love with the logo and we move forward again I will state as I have before If you are building a business, hire a professional. Hire a professional to help you with your brand design. Maybe not the name, but even maybe the name. If it's not your wheelhouse, now naming, I don't know if it's my wheelhouse, but I I really enjoy it. So at least I enjoyed that part of it. But stuff like branding and fonts, hire a professional. It is so, so hard to go back and change your name, change your brand, change your logo. Because from day one, you're trying to build brand equity and become recognizable. And if you have to go back after a year, you're starting over at square one. So I urge you, find a professional. So the next step, we had the brand. Uh, we also had to find roasters to work with. And this is this was a this actually was not that hard of a step. Uh, Brandon had an amazing reputation in the industry. And with the initial success I'd had with Folly, I think people at least respected my business acumen. And so when it came out that we were partnering and creating the service uh, of cold brewed coffees, we were able to approach Bootstrap, that amazing roaster in St. Paul I was telling you about that Brandon used to work for, obviously had a great relationship with them because of Brandon. And so Micah said he's on board. Uh, We also approached, at the time they were called Gutter Punk Coffee, they're now Wildflyer Coffee. Not only do they have great coffees, but they're also a uh, nonprofit uh, empowering at-risk youth. And so we really wanted to work with them because we could be another channel for them to grow their business and be able to support their cause as well as having great coffee. And then the last one we launched with was uh, Elixir out of Philadelphia. And that was just, I had met Evan uh, very early on in building out Folly. Super, super nice guy. Some of the best coffees I've ever had. And he graciously agreed, gave us really 
great pricings to help us launch the business. And just having that name on the roster definitely raises an eyebrow if you're a specialty coffee nerd because you're like, man, if Elixir out of Philadelphia is willing to work with this company, they must be doing something right. So huge shout out to Evan for taking a risk and, and uh, their coffees are still our favorite to experiment with because they do some amazing experimental coffees. And so being able to make cold brews with what they're doing has been one of Brandon's favorite thing to do. And they've been on tap at Dual Citizen Brewing over in St. Paul since day one. And that's a perfect transition into the next part is what additional equipment do we need? So part of our processes is uh, now this is something that's a little freaky about cold brew on tap. A lot of people doing it out there are using what are called corny kegs, short for Cornelius kegs. And these are like homebrew style kegs. The reason people use these, they use them in cafes a lot, is because you can open them with your hand. And so you can literally undo a latch and clean out the inside, fill it with cold brew and close it back up. Now, it's very, very hard and labor intensive to clean these super effectively And so that reason, in combination with the reason that it's not like a true commercial keg, we decided we weren't going to use those kegs. We take cleanliness very, very seriously, and we determined that, hey, if there's a risk of these, not only from a labor perspective, it would be extremely arduous to have to clean those all the time, but if there's a risk of bacteria growing because of ineffective cleaning. We can't use those. So we decided to use Sankey kegs, which are like your standard beer keg hookup. But then that posed another problem. If we're going to be using these commercial style kegs, we have to have a commercial keg cleaner. Google. Okay. Your lowest end model of a single keg commercial cleaner, seven to 10 grand. Well, there goes our entire budget. Luckily, Brandon has a bunch of connections in food and beverage. And so we approached a local brewery, Dual Citizen Brewery, and said, we will trade you cold brew on tap for keg cleaning abilities. And so uh, they graciously accepted that offer. And so we provide them free cold brew on tap and they let us use uh, their commercial keg cleaner in off hours. So Brandon does that on a weekly basis. All of our kegs are commercially clean. So we know that they're like tip top, like the cleanliness is top of the line. And then also it is convenient to sell kegs to bars and restaurants who are used to those hookups, usually an actual beer coupler, as opposed to having to install some sort of like the, the corny keg like homebrew setup. Um, yeah. And so we ultimately decided on that. And so we had to get creative with some of our equipment needs, but the combination of going into a shared kitchen space where we didn't have to do rent or we paid rent, but not like for a full kitchen, we didn't have to pay a lease. We didn't have to commit to a, a lease, uh, dual citizen becoming an awesome partner that we still use to this day to be able to use their commercial keg cleaner. And then the fact that the Kickstarter from folly had successfully funded, kept our equipment needs, to a pretty low requirement. Now, when I say low, it still ended up being thousands and thousands of dollars of investment into equipment and measuring tools to be able to ensure that we're making the best product out there. So even though it seemed like our costs were going to be next to nothing, they still mounted up as we went. And with all that being said, from meeting in the middle of April, we were able to launch in September of 2018, which looking back on is absolutely crazy. We took, well, maybe not so crazy because it's been in Brandon's mind for years. And so 
the creative side of this, what is the business, what is Filterra, had already been created in Brandon's mind. But to execute from him telling me about the idea in April to us being able to launch in September of 2018 in five months, it's absolutely mind-blowing to look back on. That includes recipe formulation. That includes setting up agreements with roasters and creating ordering processes and creating like weekly delivery cycles and like going out and trying to like researching the market and determining what our best channels were. And so uh, September, we got the go-ahead because Brandon had this entire booklet full of uh, hazard action and critical control points that the inspector came in and literally told him, is like, this is way more than we actually need, but we do appreciate that you did this, <laughs> which was awesome because we're in a commercial kitchen. So they're like, yeah, we know this place is good. They looked at our equipment. It's all NSF approved. We know that's good. And then they looked at our processes and I think they were like, these guys clearly are like above and beyond what they need to do. And that's where the same fear I had with Folly became a very real fear for Filterra. Okay, we have this awesome product. We're ready to launch. Like, who's going to buy it? Fortunately, that fear was minimized to, uh, to some extent because we'd done our research. We kind of knew a price point we had to be about. I knew the price point we needed to command to be able to make our margin requirements while still being price competitive with other competitors on the market. I knew like poor cost of what bars and restaurants are looking for, uh, like their maximum poor cost to be able to serve a cold brew for four to $6. And so a lot of the math was figured out. And then just my comfort levels of hitting the streets, bars, restaurants, getting on tap, I used to do it at Sam Adams 10 to 12 places a day. And so I was very comfortable with that proposition. And so there was definitely anxiety and fear and a different type of anxiety because it wasn't just me now. So when I went out with Folly, it's like, if this fails, it's kind of, you know, it was my thing. I messed my thing up. I'm spending my money. Now with Filtera, it's like, not that Brandon's like putting pressure on me because he, like, he was awesome about supporting everything we did, but there's like this added pressure of now it's not just me. Like this is a partnership and there's someone else depending on me to go out and find customers. Now I will say when you walk into a meeting of someone who's interested in serving cold brew on tap, and that's how I got people to meet was just calling, 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 emailing, emailing, emailing. Would you be interested in cold brew on tap? We're working with the local roasters. It tastes better than anything on the market. And that got enough people interested that we'd go in. And when you blind sampled what Brandon was brewing, next to the cold brews that people were serving, it made selling very, very easy. Most of the time, price was the last thing they asked about in the meeting. They tasted them side by side and go, this is a better product. We want to serve this. By the way, how much is it? And so we were able to get on tap at Happy Gnome, which is now closed. Like, shout out Happy Gnome. That place was amazing. Uh, got on Happy Gnome, first draft in Minneapolis. Uh, Fairgrounds is this amazing cafe, and this was a really cool turning point. And they wanted our cold brew, but we figured out they go through a distributor, Canteen. And so I went to Canteen and said, they want to serve our cold brew. They go through you, and Canteen said, we'll pick you up. And so now Canteen got us uh, on tap at a few different locations, which was an awesome volume driver, and they've been a great partner. And so it was just going out and hitting the streets. And and Brandon and I kind of made this thing that we're like, if we can get through the winter, we launched in September and both of us are going, what is this a good thing or a bad thing? Launching in a Minnesota winter. So we're launching in September as te temperatures start to plummet. And I said, I think this is a good thing. One, because 
we can get our processes in line while things are slow. Like people drink less cold brew in the winter. We know that. We don't know how much less, but we know it'll be slower. And then the other side is if we can make it through a Minnesota winter selling cold brew and keeping our doors open and paying rent and covering our expenses and being able to buy coffees, we can make this thing work. And so that's what my mindset was like, let's get through this freaking winter and make it. If we can get through this winter and not have to shutter our doors because the bills are like becoming too much, then we can totally make it when the summer comes and sales start to ramp up. And that's what we did. We got on tap at enough locations that we were able to start churning through kegs and later bag and box. So this is another example of Brandon being innovative. Uh, and I'll, again, I still need to go back to this joint partnership and why it works. Uh, but from there, we got through the winter and then we had an awesome opportunity to partner up with Penny's Coffee and their two two locations at the time, now three, and develop them their Penny's Blend cold brew. So if you have a cold brew at Penny's, that's ours. And they've been an amazing partner and they sell the heck out of some cold brew. And now you can go to our website. We have, uh, just, I think the last time I counted like 15 partners. And then, uh, so we, the, the next summer, really the problem was like, okay, I have to stop selling because we found out that cold brew sales triple in the summer, like literally three times the volume of cold brew in the summer. So these accounts, and I was like, oh my gosh, I need more and more accounts and more and more accounts. All of a sudden the volume started picking up and the orders were doubling. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's a lot. And then they tripled. And then we, we kind of found that weekly rate of tripling was our maximum output at the time. And then we had to go invest back into the infrastructure of brewing. And this is where Brandon is awesome, is he is like, he's a type of guy that can figure it out. And so he's literally sourcing equipment from uh, cold brew manufacturers. He's looking at other industries, mainly the beer industry. Like, what can we take from different industries? What existing equipment can we use and retrofit with for our needs? Because the difficulty of being innovative in something like cold brew is everyone's trying to tell you this is how you should do it. But Brandon knows that he can do it in a way that'll make it taste better. And so he had to take the equipment and find food safe certified ways to make it fit what we did. And so I come in there one time and he's got three 50 gallon brewers hooked up to this octopus of a glycol chilling system. Glycol is a liquid that doesn't freeze at 32 degrees. So you can, you can cool it below freezing temperatures. And he was using that uh, with custom wraps he had created for these different brewers so that we could brew below refrigerated temperatures above freezing outside of a fridge. I'm just like, okay, man, like we've really, we've really done it. Now, meanwhile, I skipped over an entire part there. So we're in this commercial kitchen and we are growing faster than we expected. And we're taking up more space in the fridge than I think they thought we would. And so things quickly grew tense. We had more and more kegs in the fridge space. We had to start renting more space. We started taking up keg space in an entirely separate fridge. And we had a bit of a dispute with another supplier there that they had a batch of bread go wrong and it got pinned on us. Now, I know Brandon's process. He knew exactly what temperatures those were going in. I'm not getting into that, but it was causing tension and they gave us a 60 days notice that you have 60 days to get out of this kitchen. 
okay, so we are in peak volume season here. Um, it's starting to ramp down. It's getting towards the end of the summer, but okay, so 60 days. Um, we have to find an entirely new, new food safe facility. It can't. We know that this is the only great fit for a commercial kitchen or a commissary shared uh, commissary kitchen uh, in the Twin Cities. There wasn't really another good option when we were looking, and the other ones were way too expensive for us to be able to go right now because we just invested right back into our systems. And once again, did I mention that Brandon has a lot of connection in food and beverage? And we like to get creative. He goes, I, I know uh, the guy that started uh, Bootlegger Kombucha down in Apple Valley. And we got extremely lucky that Bootlegger actually had previously shared uh, their space with a cold brew manufacturer, Busy Coffee, another one doing a different concept, but also a cold brew manufacturer. And he said, yeah. And we worked out a deal with Jake. Hanneman at Bootlegger Kombucha. First of all, amazing kombuchas. And a lot of synergies in production that made it make a lot of sense in terms of like what you needed for three compartment sink, what you needed for drainage, what you needed for storage. And so they had all the capabilities that we needed and we were to able, able to save them money on rent without taking up too much space to get in the way of their operations. And so Based on Brandon's recommendation uh, to that, like Jake is a great guy to work with and he has an awesome reputation, we move forward on it. And that has been one of the best decisions we've made for this business. One of the things about moving forward on that is once again, we had to go through the process of getting recertified and Brandon knocked it out of the park again. He drew up a brand new hats up procedure for the new space. It was very similar, but it had to be like the equipment retrofitted for our new situation. And uh, our inspector down there was a uh, good relationship with Jake, knew that the space was up to code. And so once we showed him we're doing exactly what we were doing in St. Paul, now we're doing it down here, showed him all of our operations. We got the approval again within so two approvals. Two different spaces within the span of a year because we were at the end of the summer at this point. I think it was like August or something. And this is the point in time where we could really blow the lid off of what we were able to do with Filterra. When we were in that commercial kitchen in St. Paul, we were very limited in space. And any extra keg that got ordered was like a little bit stressful because it's like, okay, we are at max output. They're already upset with us. If we start storing more kegs, they're going to be upset with us uh, even more. And we know we're on thin ice. And then they give us the 60 days notice. And so then we're going, okay, we have to get out of here in 60 days, all while trying to keep up with this increasing demand for the cold brew. And uh, we lucked out. And Gia Kitchen, I will say also, was very, very lenient with us because that 60 days goes by really quickly. And so once they knew that we had a plan in place to move, they were very lenient with us to be able to create a transition plan to allow us not to have to shut our doors for any like given uh, length of time because that can be extremely detrimental to a new business if someone can't get the product. And they understand that working with a lot of small businesses. But moving down to Bootlegger in Apple Valley allowed Brandon to really get creative with the brewing processes. We had way more space to play with. We didn't have to worry as much about where to store the stuff because we had more Filterra-specific storage space. And this is where the processes really got amazing. And we're now able to scale recipes to much larger batches than we ever have before. And instead of having the problem of, oh my gosh, we're, we're like, how are we going to keep up with the man? Now we're like, let's go out and find some new accounts, baby. And so uh, in the back half of 2019, 
is where we're at now. Uh, we brought out a new roasting partner with Peace Coffee out of Minneapolis, one of the most reputable roasters in the area with an absolutely insane fan base and of customers in the Twin Cities. And this brought us into our second winner, which was almost like a, like we did it, man. We got through the first winter, kept our door open. We got through a summer and we kept up with volume. We didn't have a single missed order. It's absolutely crazy considering things tripled in volume. And that was an awesome moment. And so now we're at the point, you know, it's February, mid-February of 2020, uh, as things slow down in the winter, it allows us to refocus our energies and what we want to do. And one of the big moves we've made in the past couple months that I think is going to be one of our biggest catalysts of 2020 is, uh, we recently announced a partnership with spy house coffee out of Minneapolis. Uh, it's one of my all time favorite roasters. I think they're one of the best in the country. Definitely one of the best in the region roasting absolutely amazing coffees with a reputation of being extremely, extremely picky about their coffees. And that's why they're so good. And the way this happened was my dumb luck at play. Again, um, I saw a name popped up on LinkedIn as I was scrolling coffee articles and a name popped up I'd not seen, Kevin Wenzel over at Spy House. And I was like, wait a second, a coffee person that I don't know? That makes me feel uncomfortable. And so I just messaged him. I was like, I see you're new to Spy House. Um, my name's Rob, I own Folly uh, and uh, Colin Filtera. I'd love to meet just because I like to know everyone in coffee. It's a great community and I'd love to meet you. And so we met and he's an awesome, awesome professional. He's been in food for 10 plus years at U.S. Food, held a number of different roles within the food and beverage community. And uh, he came and teamed up with Christian over at Spy House to kind of scale uh, their, their wholesale side of things while keeping the focus on quality. And this conversation led to cold brew being something they wanted to expand their offerings in. And I said, well, maybe you'd be interested in tasting what we're doing over at Filterra. And long story short, we went through a uh, month of using their Orion espresso blend, a month of dialing in over three different tasting rounds and over 10 different cold brews using the same coffee to dial in the recipe that we launched two weeks ago. And it is tasting absurdly good. And so I think that's going to be an awesome opportunity because they have an extremely strong brand name, amazing coffees, and they have a very professional team over there. So we're, we're thrilled to partner with them. And like, I think it's going to really put things over the top this summer. So keep an eye out for that. We, we're going to have some fun, exciting announcements at Filterra uh, regarding that in the next couple of weeks, I think. So that's like the overall summary of Filtera, the story. There's a lot more that goes into it. There's a lot more stresses and anxiety and, hey, did that check come in to clear our rent payment now and this and that and having to invest more money back into it to be able to expand our brewing operations and where does that money come from? But it's like, that's not enough time to go into that. Uh, the, the last part of this episode, so like the last 10 minutes, I want to focus on why I think Filterra has worked thus far and why I think it will continue to work. Um, because I think it's really important in business to not take anything for granted and to be very conscientious and thoughtful in moving forward. And so I like to every once in a while check in when things 
Because if you only check in when things are bad and say, why are things bad? Then you're being reactive. Whereas if you can check in when things are going well and saying, why do we think they're going well? And how can we amplify that? Then you're going to be proactive. It's a big cliche. Be proactive, not reactive. That's, but it's a cliche for a reason. It was said enough times by enough people that it became a thing. So I'll use it. The first part of the success of Filterra thus far. And again, I'm not tooting our own horn. By no means have we made it. We have a long way to go, and I think we have a lot of awesome things in our future. But from day one, this any potential success Filterra was going to have was dependent on the partnership of myself and Brandon. Uh, I decided to start Folly on my own because I explicitly did not want a partnership. I wanted to have control over the process. I wanted to have control over the branding. And as that business has grown, I've learned to give up control. And I've learned that giving up control to someone who's better than you is an awesome thing to do. And so with Brandon, the reason this partnership works is one I, I do that a lot. I do like the number thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try not to do that for the last part of this episode. The reason it works with me and Brandon is we have very different interests within the same passion. And I'm going to try to explain that. We have the same passion for coffee. We both take it very seriously. But the things that interest us about coffee are very different. I very, very much enjoy the end product. And I will, on the hot side, I'll do like I'll learn enough to be able to enjoy coffee to its fullest. But like I said, I'm more of a big picture guy. I like tasting things more than like the actual preparation of them. I'll do the preparation if that's what it takes to have the end thing, but it's not necessarily my favorite part. Whereas Brandon's like, he's like a straight up engineer over here. He's like very extremely detail oriented. All he wants to do is like nerd out on how to make this taste better. And then I'm the person that wants to taste and go, wow, this tastes way better. And so we have these very specific lanes within the business. And not only do we have these varied interests, really opposite parts of the business, but we also put it into writing before forming a partnership together about what roles and responsibilities were. So we didn't just say, okay, Rob, you'll be like more of the sales and marketing side and you can still taste and uh, do this and that. But, uh, you know, I'll do brewing, you do sales. That's what it is. Uh, we put it in writing what the core responsibilities for each of us were. So our titles kind of show what we do. Uh, Brandon is brewmaster and I, I put mine as sales because it makes it very very easy to decide who's doing what. And within those roles, we listed out a list of responsibilities that each person was responsible for. So as things come up, it wasn't an argument of, oh, I don't have time. I can't do that. I don't want to do that. It's if it falls under this side of things, it's your responsibility. If it falls under this side, it's my responsibility. So if a customer has a sales related complaint or a delivery related complaint, that's on me. If it's something to do with quality control, it's on Brandon, but because he's so good, it rarely happens. A lot of the stuff has to do with like serving cold brew on tap. And there's a big education piece that goes into effectively serving cold brew on tap. That's different than beer. And so there is a learning curve on that. And Brandon has done an awesome job at covering those. But obviously it's small business and we have to both know how to do everything. And so I don't know that I could really do his full cold brew setup. We've actually brought in Jeff from Folly and he's helped uh, Brandon brew and Brandon's teaching him a bit about the brewing process. But 
our roles are very specific. And in creating specific lanes and roles, it minimizes conflict. So where arguments might arise, we have extreme ownership of our roles. And so if things weren't moving fast enough, if we're not generating enough sales, that's on me. That's 100% on me. And I won't blame anyone else but myself for that. I'm taking full responsibility for that. If I'm going out and sampling this cold brew in the market and people are tasting it and saying, I just, you know, it's not, not that much better. It's not better. It's, this cold brew's worse. So not any better than what I've tasted. Then that's on him. But guess what? That's not happening. Like it continues after it's February of 2020. We launched. So we're like a year and almost a half in. And to this day, I haven't had one meeting where they taste it and don't say this is noticeably higher quality. And that is an absolutely crazy thing to have. And it speaks to our roasting partners. They're roasting absolutely amazing coffees to begin with. And so when you begin with amazing coffees, it's going to create a better product. And then Brandon's processes creates this final thing that's just absolutely amazing. And uh, so having those specific lanes, I'm, I'm beating it over the head. But if you're going to form a business with someone else, it's tempting to form it with somebody that you're like. It's tempting for me to go find somebody that's also like really sales minded and and we spitball back and forth and get super excited and like amplify each other's energy. But you could, if you know me personally, two of me in a room is probably a little bit too much to deal with. And so that's why I tend to work best with people who are like kind of the opposite personality. And Brandon is a bit like we get along super well, but he's also admittedly on his, in his own words, an introvert and he wants to be back of house. I'll be front of house and I'll go be the person out talking to people. Uh, so if you're going to do it, make sure you're being very conscientious about that. Uh, I think it also helps that Brandon and I met through coffee. So it wasn't like a childhood friend that we have all this personal history where you go, this reminds me of third grade when you did that. This is classic you. It's like we met through coffee. We have a friendship literally built on coffee. And I think that's another huge advantage. Uh, And so the first part of why I think Filtera is working is because, quite frankly, this partnership is working. And it continues to work. And we are very conscientious about not getting into each other's lanes. He doesn't try to tell me how to do uh, like the sales strategy or who to approach. And he'll jump on any opportunity that arises with his connections in food and beverage. But what he'll do is instead of trying to go sell to that person, he'll say, hey, I know so-and-so at this place. You might want to go talk to them. And you might think, well, shouldn't he go talk to the person he knows? Well, maybe he should join me on a meeting if that makes sense. But if I'm going to be the salesperson, I need that business, that part, the potential partner of Filterra to know that I'm the contact for all things front of house. And so it continues to work really well. Second, like I referenced, superior quality. And this isn't us just saying we have superior quality because everybody says they have superior quality. I mean, you have to blind taste test your own thing. You have to blind sample your own thing. You have to blind everything so that you're not kidding yourselves about the product. Like that, that's a very real problem that when you get so in your own world that you'd be like, yeah, we love this. And you give it to other people and they're like, okay, that's really cool that you like it. We need, we need not only the retailers to like it but we need their end customer to like it. And then another reason this is working 
and I think it'll continue to work, is the business model adds value at every step. And what I mean by that is we're not a contract brewer. We're not taking your beans, putting them in cold water in a licensed facility, kegging them and giving them back to you. We're adding value because Brandon's research that he's done into cold brewing methods, he's able to create a cold brew that is going to be the best representation of a coffee. So we're adding value to specialty coffee roasters that take coffee very seriously by creating a superior cold brew. We're then adding values to retailers because retailers, bars, restaurants, cafes, anywhere serving cold brew, they can offer a superior product to their customers and they can do it with and supporting two local businesses, which is a very cool thing. So not only are they supporting a local roaster, they're also supporting a local cold brew company. So it's almost like twofold supporting the local economy, which is cool. But at the end of the day, the customer gets a superior cold brew. And my worry about not having brand equity, now I still think about it on time to time, but what happened organically in the formation of this business and as I'm selling is what I realized. The question retailers ask, like, well, how do I list this on my menu then? If I'm serving Spy House Orion Espresso Blend, but you brew it, is it Filtera Cold Brew or is it Spy House? And what we've come to now is I want you to list that as Spy House Orion Blend Cold Brew. And then in a smaller font, brewed by Filtera. But it's more important to me and it's more important to us at Filtera that the retailer knows who's brewing it. And the reason this is important is because it's the retailers that are buying cold brew on tap. They're deciding what to serve to their customers. So we are beginning to build a reputation as being the cold brew experts in the Twin Cities. And this brings me to my last point I'm going to make. If I could go back, would I do this as a Folly Coffee product? Just imagine, Rob, you've got 12, soon to be 15, looking at potential of doubling our business in 2020. You've got all these accounts that are serving not Folly Coffee. They're serving all of your roasters. Don't you want all of that to be under the Folly name in your business? And I say no to that. And I'm not just pandering here because I've definitely thought heavily about this. And the reason is, it is extremely hard to be known for something. If you have a business, too often in food and beverage, people try to be jack of all trades. They try to offer a full line of products to cater to every need of every customer. This is not a good idea. That's why with Folly Coffee, when people ask, when's your cafe opening so that I can grab a cup of coffee in the morning? I say, we're not opening a cafe because I don't want Folly to become a cafe that people get coffee at. Oh, by the way, they roast coffee. I want Folly to be a coffee roaster. We are known for our high quality, delicious beans. That's what Folly is. It's the beans. If we had launched this as Folly Cold Brew, and the cold brew starts growing as fast as it has, more people would probably know Folly as a cold brew than the beans. And then we lose the entire point of trying to increase the quality of cold brew. We want people to think about the beans that are going into the cold brew. But Folly would just be, oh, I like that Folly cold brew. And then when you go to approach them about the beans, they go, wait, I thought that was the cold brew company. And it can create some confusion. So with Filtera, 
we have one thing we're really good at, and that's cold brew. So when I go to a roaster partner or I go to a retailer, I tell them this is our hyper focus of the business. If this was a part of a larger roasting operation, if we had cafes, if we were roasting, if we had a wholesale program, if we had a retail grocery program, if we had an online store, the cold brew would not be what it is today because we'd be worried about all these things. And I promise you, Brandon probably would not be doing just cold brew if this was a part of Folly because it's always all hands on deck. But because it's separate, he has an intense hyper focus on creating the best cold brew. And I'm the person that always says, I can do it all. I can take on all this and I can I can put it all on my plate. And don't tell me I can't do cold brew at a high level as a part of this business. But at my heart of hearts, I know that's not true. And I think in looking at it, that's kind of the, the cool thing about this business is that by working with a group of roasters, we're able to get high quality beans from a variety of roasters. So the style of our cold brew varies vastly. And one of the value propositions I didn't even add is that by not going with just one brand, when you go to a retailer, we can say, look at our portfolio of roasters. And so the way I do it is if I am approaching, and this is a question I get, well, then how do you decide what coffee to put on tap where? If you have all these different coffees, aren't you always going to try to put Folly on? And in my mind, I keep these businesses as far separate. If anything, I give Folly a disadvantage in the selling process to make sure I'm not being biased towards it. And so what I do, if it's a cold call account, like it's an account that I'm just, I found the buyer or I'm walking in with samples, I will bring two or three different samples to taste side by side so that they're blind taste testing them and know which one they like purely based on taste. And then they can either choose based on taste or uh, the roaster that they know. And that's the, that's part of the value of Filtera is they can choose from a portfolio of roasters as opposed to just one product. Oh, Folly Cold Brew. I don't like it. I don't want it. Oh, sorry. That's the only one we have. And then the other side is if our roasters find an opportunity for cold brew. So let's say, you know, we're at a uh, Black Walnut Bakery in Minneapolis. By the way, these croissants are absurd, absurd. But Black Walnut Bakery serves Spy House Coffee. Hey, we'd be interested in serving cold brew. That's a lead that Spy House brought my way. And we go meet with them. We're only talking about Spy House cold brew. It's brewed by Filtera. But we're only talking about Spy House here. And so that's that's how I'm able to handle it uh, and make it fair to our roaster partners that it's not getting biased towards any one person. And yeah, I know people are going to be like, oh, I'm sure, Rob, I'm sure. But I mean, hopefully people that know me know how I operate. And if anything, Folly is like downgraded in the process because of that. And if I'm being entirely honest, it is the probably least recognizable brand in our portfolio. So it's not going to be like I go into the big, oh, Folly, that's the one I want. It's going to be like, what is that one again? Oh, okay. And then the last part is just like a lot of hard work. It's like we've gotten extremely lucky along the way, but it's the whole conundrum. Is it hard work or luck? I will say Brandon is one of those people that I go, he is probably a harder worker than me. And I, that's one of the things I, I pride myself on most is being a hard worker. And that's, that's, that's honestly the end of like any business is not going to succeed if it's not absolutely like an insane amount of hard work 
Like unless you have it, even if you have an idea that just takes off, it's going to be hard work to scale it and to be able to keep up with demand. It's just a lot of hard work to get a business off the ground. So making sure in that partnership and in the business model, that hard work is going to help you grow. Make sure you've built processes. Make sure you have the capital investment. Make sure you have the ability to have positive cash flow to be able to pay the bills uh, and having everything in place before launching. And you're going to fly by the seat of your pants a lot of the time, but uh, so it's a weird combination of luck, of a lot of planning, and a lot of hard work. Uh, but I think that's going to be true for absolutely any business. And so I'm just an hour and eight minutes into it. Uh, I feel like I could probably talk for another hour uh, about this business, but extremely excited about where it's going. Again, any questions you have, like reach out because it is confusing. It is confusing that it's a coffee roaster, but it's uh, that I have a coffee roaster, but it's cold brew business over here with a different person. And how is that split? And how's it been? Uh, seriously, feel free to reach out. Any questions you have directly, our uh, Instagram for Filtera is at Filteraco. And that is P-H-I-L-T-E-R-A-C-O. Or my email for Filtera is rob at filtera.co. Seriously, feel free to reach out. Uh, This might make you curious to taste the cold brew. Uh, Reach out. We can tell you where to go taste it. Uh, Yeah, so I will end this one just like I end every other episode and say have a great day.